Okay, if you would, please open your scriptures again to the gospel according to Mark chapter 14 and hold your place there. And I want to read you the account of Matthew and uh, the account of John also. Matthew's account of the anointing of Jesus at Bethany is in chapter 26 beginning in verse number uh, verse number one. And then John's account is in John chapter 12, beginning in verse number one. So if you find those places uh, and uh, keep your spot there in Mark chapter 14. Let's go again to the Lord now in prayer. I confess that I desperately need his enabling to rightly divide the scripture, to preach it in power. I want it to be more than just words off paper. I want God to speak to your hearts. Mm -hmm. So please pray with me. Our Lord, we need to hear from you today. We're broken. All of us are. We confess that we have come so far short of your glory in so many ways, just this week, that, uh, Lord, if we got what we deserve for just this week, we would be in the depths of your wrath. God, we come to you in the name of Jesus who has borne our wrath, who has turned away your wrath from us and absorbed it all in his own body, in his own self, to save us and to impute to us your own righteousness. And we thank you for that. But Father, we know that uh, we, don't, we don't live for you like we ought to. And we don't serve you as faithfully and as passionately as we ought to. And so I pray that you'd use the word this morning to teach us what worship looks like, to teach us what sacrificial worship really is, and encourage us, Lord, to pour out ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 26, verse beginning in verse number one. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he was reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum 
and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, who, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver, and from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. And so that, uh, that recording of Matthew, of this incident, or event, I should say, uh, is uh, uh, very close to the very same wording of Mark. But then John also records it, and uh, as we have been studying the Gospel of Mark, we've noticed that uh, 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 Mark and John and Luke often uh, cover the same things, uh, but John does not. But now there's a little difference because it's uh, Matthew and Mark and John that are covering this event. In chapter number four of the Gospel of John and verse number one, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples... He who was about to betray him said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial for the poor you always have with you but you do not always have me and so these are the uh, wordings of the different accounts of these gospel writers and so i want us to uh, just look at this passage of scripture and think about some very important truths. The first thing I want us to notice is the conspiracy. There is a conspiracy here uh, that we see in Mark chapter 14 verses 1 and 2. 
It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes, the religious leaders, these are the very ones that Jesus had been rebuking in chapter number 13. He had, in chapter 12, he had been uh, uh, rebuking them and pointing out that because of them, Jerusalem and the temple would be destroyed. And those things actually came to pass in that generation. He said it was going to happen in that generation. And in by 70 AD, those very judgments that Jesus declared and prophesied on Israel, on Jerusalem, and on the temple actually took place. And so these are those uh, religious leaders who had a great responsibility before God to minister to the people of God. They had a charge to, to serve the people of God, and they served God by serving the people of God, by keeping the truth of God's word, and by... Uh, uh, by being examples. And rather than being examples, they were charlatans. They were hypocrites and they were full of pride and wanted to be known for great men and wanted to be seen for everything they did. They wanted the praise of men. And so Jesus had uh, brought these, uh, this indictment on them and told them what was going to happen because of their sin, and they hated him for it, of course. You know, the thing that uh, those Pharisees and scribes and the Sadducees and all the different sects, the zealots, the things they the thing they hated Jesus for most, I believe, is that he could see through the facade of religiosity. He was not impressed at all by their public prayers. He was not impressed at all by their robes and their fringes on their garments and their phylacteries on their foreheads in their hand. He was not impressed at all by how diligently they washed their hands after coming back from the market or before they would eat anything. He was not impressed with any of those things at all. As a matter of fact, he said, you are like a lot of whitewashed graves that outwardly look clean and nice unto men, but inwardly you're full of dead men's bones. They hated him for that. They hated Jesus. And so they wanted to kill him. And they were looking for opportunities to kill him. And you remember how that we have talked about all those tricks that they tried to play on him, those uh, word games and mind games that they tried to uh, uh, entrap him in his words. 
and it didn't work. And so now it's getting close to the uh, Passover. They're two days away and the Feast of Unleavened Bread or the uh, festival, better said, of unleavened bread, where for seven days after the Passover, they were to have no leaven in their houses. And so these were uh, high and holy convocations unto the Lord. And they wanted Jesus dead, but they wanted it done before Passover, if they could possibly get it to happen, because they did not want to be guilty. So this is, this is the time stamp on their, uh, their conspiracy. It was two days before the Passover. Uh, one of the, as I said, one of the highest and holiest days of the Jewish calendar. It was like their uh, Independence Day. It was a memorial of the deliverance of their forefathers from the land of Egypt. You remember that, right? You know that Israel was held captive. They were slaves in Egypt. And the, uh, 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 the time came for God to deliver them from Egypt. And he sends Moses. And you know the whole story. And I won't take a lot of time with that. But uh, God brought nine plagues on the land of Egypt. And then... He brought a tenth. That last plague was the death of the firstborn of every household in the land of Egypt, including their livestock, including their children. The firstborn of every household was condemned by the word of God. I'm going to pass through the land of Egypt and I will slay the firstborn of every house. But he said, you tell my people, Moses, to take a lamb on the 10th day of the first month and put it up until the 14th day. And on the 14th day at evening, they will slay that lamb. They'll catch its blood in a basin and take a bunch of hyssop and sprinkle the blood or, or, or spread the blood on the lintel in the two side posts of the door. And as I pass through the land of Egypt to slay the firstborn, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And there was a great cry that went up from Egypt. And as he passed over them, that meant uh, not just that he was going to go on by it meant that he would stand guard at the door so that the death angel would not enter into their houses. There was not so much as a dog wagged his tongue at the people of Israel. And so this is the, uh, uh, the, the deliverance of Israel by power and by blood. And the people of Israel left Egypt that night victoriously 
They were delivered by a mighty God, by his mighty hand. He led them through the Red Sea. He led them even in their disobedience through the wilderness for 40 years until the day came when he brought them into Canaan. And so their deliverance from Egypt was set as a memorial for the people of Israel. And this is what's going on. And so they didn't want anything to interfere with their celebration. The ranks of the, uh, or the population of Jerusalem, they said would grow sometimes uh, in the millions. It's a small place, but there would be millions of pilgrims that would come from all over to celebrate the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. And so uh, this was a, a high and holy time. And so uh, that's, that's the time stamp on it. And it says that it was two days before the Passover. So we see not only the time stamp, but we see God's plan and providence in it. You see that picture, that uh, deliverance from Egypt was a picture of salvation. It was a picture of what Jesus was going to do. He is our Passover lamb. So it proves that God was not taken by surprise by the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And God's plan in providence is very clear. In uh, uh, Matthew 26 and Verse number one, as we've already read, said when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered to be crucified. And so this was not a surprise. This was something that God had foreordained and planned from the very beginning. And he planned it to do it through the hands of lawless men. If you look with me in Acts chapter number 2, here is a tremendous passage of scripture. It's one that has always amazed me how that Peter stands up on uh, the day of Pentecost and begins to preach. And the only difference that I can see is that uh, the Holy Spirit has come and indwelt Peter. Before, Peter just couldn't get it about Jesus, could he? He just couldn't get that uh, Jesus was actually going to be crucified and die and be buried. He was going to be brutalized and rejected by the people. Peter just couldn't get that. When uh, Jesus told him that, he tried to rebuke Jesus and say, no, that's just not going to happen. But suddenly, 
when the Holy Spirit indwells him, he, the Spirit of truth, causes all these things to fall into place. All these truths that he's read and heard from the Scriptures, all these uh, uh, psalms and the prophecies of the psalms, and it all falls into place and he stands up and he preaches truth like he has never preached it before. And he says in chapter number 2 and verse number 22 and following, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up, listen now, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This is Peter's acknowledging that it was the sovereign work of God. It was God's providence that brought Jesus to this time at that time. It was the very day that he would be, should be crucified, the day that he was nailed to the cross. And not only that, but if you'll go, look at uh, chapter, chapter 4, Peter and uh, John have been before the council and they've been commanded not to preach anymore. And, uh, and in verse number 19, it says, But Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And then in verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea, everything in them, who through the mouth of your, our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the heathen, the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, listen now, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So, and I, I know that uh, I'm not giving you anything new. As a matter of fact, I don't have anything new to give. But this is truth that we need to continually be reminded of that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross was not an accident. 
It was God's plan from the very beginning. And so we see uh, God's plan and providence. And then also uh, we see in this conspiracy the hands of lawless men. And we just read about that. We see their cunning and conniving, their stealth or their trickery. We've already talked about that. They tried to uh, uh, trick him. They tried to uh, trip him up in his words earlier. And then when all else failed, they tried to find someone to bring false witness against him. And as they brought their false witnesses to testify, their testimonies didn't agree. They tried every thing they could. And then even after his death, his burial, and his resurrection, they bribed the guards to tell a lie, to keep everybody from believing in Jesus. Isn't this amazing? Not only do we notice their cunning and conniving, but notice their viciousness. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to arrest him, and they wanted him dead. They wanted him on a cross. They wanted him bloody, bleeding, and beaten brutally. They wanted the blood to flow from his body. They wanted to hear his last gasp. They were vicious men. And notice not only that they were vicious, they were hypocritical. And this is what really, really gets me. And I hope it gets you too. They were able to, to say, let's not have him on the cross on the holy days. Let's not do it during the feast. Let's not do this during the Passover because uh, there will be an uproar of the people. They were not concerned about the fact that they were about to murder an innocent man. <laughs> they weren't concerned about that at all. All they were concerned about was that their rituals didn't get interrupted that their rituals, their uh, way of doing things didn't get uh, 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 messed up in any way. And they were not concerned about killing him. They were just concerned about keeping things going the way they always had. They were going to keep on coming to church. They were going to keep on doing their thing religiously. But they were going to murder. They already had it in their hearts. They were going to viciously kill an innocent man. Now I think we could all uh, examine our own hearts about things like this. We sometimes, as we've prayed and as we always say, the, uh, uh, Pastor Art was talking about sanctification this morning and how uh, desperately we need sanctification in our lives and sanctification does not add to our salvation but we are very slow at sanctification aren't we it's a it's a progressive work justification is a once for all work 
And so that can never be changed, but just or sanctification is a progressive work. And we're very, we come very far short of God's glory in our sanctification. And sometimes our minds are full of vicious and evil things. You know, Jesus said, if you uh, are angry with your brother without a cause, you are you have committed murder. You've murdered him in your heart. If you look on a woman to lust after her, you have committed adultery with her already in your heart. Our hearts are manufacturers, one writer said. Our hearts manufacture idolatries. We are wicked and yet we'll keep on pretending to be religious, won't we? It's a serious, serious thing. Well, their fear, notice also that they had fear of man while exhibiting no fear of God whatsoever. Not afraid of God. And, and listen, there is a sense in which we should not fear God, but then there's a very real sense in which we should fear God. When I was a kid, I feared my dad. I never expected him to come home and pull out a gun and start shooting. But I want to tell you something. If I got uh, on the wrong side of my mom, occasionally she'd say, wait till your daddy gets on. And I knew that he would that he would discipline me and he could discipline me and he had every right to discipline me. And I didn't uh, I didn't want that to happen. Well, God is holy and God is just. And we need to understand that uh, even uh, James said the devils tremble before him. They believe and tremble, and we don't even tremble. And we're, we're supposed to be the ones who know him and love him. And so this is a serious thing. They fear man, but they don't fear God. And then... Secondly, let's notice the anointing, and I, I'm not going to get uh, through with this, but let's anoint. Let's uh, notice the anointing of Jesus at Bethany, and we need to notice the time stamp. And this is probably as far as I'll get. We talked about the time stamp on <clears throat> the uh, conspiracy, but now we want to look at the time stamp on this. Uh, record of the event in which uh, Mary anointed Jesus. And as I said, there are uh, three differing or three accounts of the same event. And then there's one in Luke that many people uh, think are uh, is the same thing, but, uh, but there are some discrepancies. But uh, uh, there's, all, there's been controversies and confusions and 
and uh, uh, different interpretations, and people jump on things like this and say, now see there, you can't trust the Bible. But let's, let's just think about these things for just a moment. Luke has a, uh, a similar account in chapter number 7. In verse number 36, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For he is a sinner, or for she is a sinner. <coughs> and Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered him, Say it, teacher. Well, I won't go on into the uh, uh, parables that Jesus shared with Simon, but in Luke's account here, there are some similarities. To what we've read in Mark, right? And what we read in Matthew and in John. But uh, there, uh, for example, she had an alabaster flask of ointment and she sought Jesus who was at the table eating and she anointed him with the ointment. She took some of the ointment and, and anointed his feet and she... Uh, and the host name was Simon, and the people became indignant. So those are all similarities, but there's some differences that help us to know that these are two different occasions. First of all, it didn't happen in Bethany. You see, uh, this was a time when Jesus had been at Capernaum, and uh, uh, John the Baptist was still in prison and he had sent his uh, followers to question Jesus. And so uh, uh, this is something that did not happen in Bethany. And this woman who came in was described as a sinner. Now John tells us that the woman in, uh, in that other situation at Bethany was Mary, the sister of Martha and of Lazarus. And also, this was early in Jesus' ministry because, as I said, John had not yet been beheaded. And uh, in this occasion, she did not break the flask and pour it, but she anointed him, his feet, with it. 
And another difference is she washed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. And so these other accounts did not say that. And the indignation was about who and what kind of woman she was rather than about the value of the ointment. And so uh, there, there are those differences, and those differences convince me that these are two different occasions. And uh, also, there's a, an imagined discrepancy uh, between Matthew and Mark's timestamp and John's, because John says six days before Passover, he came to Bethany. And uh, uh, then the timestamps on uh, Matthew's preamble to this, where he says the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered. Well, no, wait a minute. Verse one says, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days, the Passover is coming. And Mark also says it was now two days before the Passover, but John says six days before the Passover, he came to Bethany. And uh, so, although John launches directly into the account of Mary anointing Jesus, he does not tell us which day the event took place. As a matter of fact, None of these do. They actually just tell the story of what happened. They tell about the event. They're not trying to set things in any chronological order. When uh, John says six days before Passover, he came to Bethany. Well, we know that's true because we, we've read it, right? We read that that's what happened. He comes to Jerusalem uh, he goes to Bethany, then he rides into the eastern gate on a donkey, goes to the temple, and is back and forth to Bethany that entire week, right? Isn't that what the scripture, that what we've been seeing in the scripture? And also, when uh, uh, John tells, or excuse me, when uh, uh, Mark talks about it, he says it's now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He talks about the chief priests and the scribes uh, uh, or conspiring to capture Jesus and to kill him. And he said in verse 3, and while he was at Bethany, he didn't say like that day or the next day, but at some point while he was at Bethany, this happened. The same thing is said in Matthew, while he was at Bethany. And so these are not really discrepancies. They are just the way that the writers express their truth. And so, uh, and, and I'm just about to stop, but let's notice also not only the timestamp, but let's notice the place and the people. The place is the house of Simon the leper. This guy is not the same one as in Mark chapter uh, 14. This is Simon. Excuse me. This is the one in Mark chapter 14. It's not the same one in Luke chapter 7. 
the house of Simon the leper. And obviously, if he was a, uh, in any sense a leper, it would have to have been past tense, right? He would have to have been a leper who was cleansed. Uh, one commentator suggested that it might have been that, uh, that one leper when Jesus cleansed ten lepers and only one came back to thank him. Uh, might have been that one, but we don't have any indication that that's true, but uh, we do know that he couldn't have active leprosy because he had to be segregated and out away from people and cry unclean, unclean, so no one would come near him. So they were at the house of Simon, who was a cleansed leper, and Jesus and his disciples were there. And there were probably others. Also, Lazarus was there who had uh, been raised from the dead. Now, I always love this. You know, in chapter 11 of John, Lazarus is raised from the dead. And then in chapter 12, he's seated at the table with Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? I think that's going to happen to us one day. And... Uh, and then there's the woman, and uh, John tells us, of course, that it's Mary. And then next time, I'm sorry I've run out of time, I want to get into what she did and how uh, they reacted and how we should react to this. So this is the message for this morning. Let's pray. Our Father, in Jesus' name, we bless you, we praise you, thank you for your word. Pray that you'd take these scattered comments and somehow by your spirit, please unite them and, and make it a message that makes a difference in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.